This is In Front of Our Eyes. There is an energy there, there's a buzz, and that's not going to be present this time. There are people with some emotional damage that might not be repairable if we don't start doing things right now that are preventative. Lots of people want justice, you know, people miss Floyd. I'm Nina Moyni. Now that jury selection is over, the trial of Derek Chauvin is scheduled to start Monday. The former Minneapolis police officer is charged with murder and manslaughter in the killing of George Floyd. You'll be able to watch or just listen to it live. That may be typical in other parts of the country, but not in Minnesota, where cameras are mostly banned from courtrooms. Today, we're going to go in-depth on what that means with reporter Brant Williams. But first, here's a quick recap of what happened in the case this week. A jury is set to start hearing attorneys' arguments next week as the trial resumes. We don't know their names, but we know age ranges and how they identify by gender and race. Nine are white, four are black, and two identify as multiracial. Six are men and nine are women. The diversity of the jury is key because George Floyd was black. Chauvin is white. The jury's made up of 15 people. Judge Peter Cahill explained fewer will actually be seated come Monday. 14 will be seated. That's all we have room for. We could seat 15 if we had room. Cahill is taking safety precautions in the courtroom because of COVID-19. And before things start on Monday, the last person selected probably will be excused. He was chosen as a backup in case someone drops out. Holding this trial during a pandemic will mean the courtroom will look a little different. NPR News reporter Brant Williams has been covering the proceedings. He's already served as one of the reporters allowed inside the courtroom. We start by talking about where everyone physically sits. Uh, It's kind of spread out throughout the courtroom, but the viewers will only see a small part of that. There's going to be cameras showing the judge, a person, one of the lawyers speaking at the lectern, and on the people who are testifying on the witness stand. Uh, But the jurors are going to be out of view. They're going to be sitting at separate, uh, like almost school desks, sort of. One of the most significant changes to the courtroom is that there's no seats in there for spectators. There's no gallery, which you'd normally have a few dozen people sitting there. It's just a reminder of these odd times we're in. I mean, I've covered high-profile trials before where there's a big, large gallery of people, of spectators, and there is an energy there. There's a buzz, and especially when the defendant walks into the, the courtroom and sits down and you, people turn their eyes to them, or you can hear sometimes people reacting non-verbally and sometimes lightly verbally to testimony. Um, and so there's there's that kind of response, but that's not going to be present this time. And my understanding is jurors are supposed to ignore all of that, but human nature, maybe sometimes they're unable to, but this time it it won't be a distraction for them at all. That's true. They will be able to concentrate more singularly on the testimony being presented instead of looking out into the gallery to see how they're reacting to it all. So for a lot of people, this might be the first time that they're seeing what goes on in an actual courtroom, not a case on some courtroom drama on TV. What are some of the parts of the trial that they may be witnessing for the first time? Well, I think a lot of people are going to realize that trials can be kind of boring sometimes. Um, (laughs) There's often a lot of waiting around. 
There'll be sidebar conferences where the lawyers will be talking to the judge and there's a, a, they turn on a white noise so you can't overhear what they're saying. Sometimes those can stretch for a while. Um, now, the, the judge has set down like some rules for the evidence and the testimony. And so there may be uh, questions asked that may seem to violate some of the rules that the judge has set. So that's when you may hear objections from one party. And so I wouldn't be surprised if there's going to be a lot of those. Now, unlike the, the TV dramas, um, you know, I have not seen a, a lot of courtroom outbursts from lawyers and judges. You may see that on, you know, your favorite courtroom drama. Sure. Uh, I've covered a lot of trials, but I haven't seen that. Um, there's been some drama in, in the spectator galleries um, every once in a while. But, of course, that won't happen this time because we're not going to have a spectator gallery. Uh, but, you know, judges tend to really keep a tight rein on how pointed the questioning gets. And they tend to keep the atmosphere as calm and businesslike as possible. And did you get a sense that the jurors, when they were being interviewed initially, potential jurors, did you get a sense that they were nervous about this being televised or that it was impacting their responses at all? You know, there were prospective jurors who were seemed to be more nervous that their names will be released at some point if they got seated on the jury. Um, sure. And they said because, you know, the high-profile nature of this particular case, about the reactions to, you know, Floyd's death last year with all the protests, and then there's some unrest. There was some talk about um, some people were a bit nervous about, you know, what the reaction could be, and they're playing a role in that. They didn't want to be a part of something very divisive. And most of those people were actually dismissed. Um, but a few of the jurors were very expressed that they were very aware of, you know, being a juror, what it could mean being a juror on such a high profile case. And my understanding was from Judge Cahill that it's up to him to decide when to release those names. Right. He said he will choose a time to release names when he said the he felt it was safe for those names to be released. Now, he didn't go into detail about what that meant, but, you know, he's the judge and, and he makes the rules when, when it comes to the releasing the names. I wonder, Brant, was, were there partitions up between people for social distancing? How much of that related to the pandemic is going on? Yeah, there there are plexiglass barriers separating the judge from the witness box. The court reporter's station was all surrounded by plexiglass, the tables for the lawyers, for the prosecution, and for the defense. They all had dividers in between the individual lawyers. So defense attorney Eric Nelson was separated from Dirk Chauvin, who was sitting on the other side of a barrier, and sitting at a table behind them was another member of his team, uh, Amy Voss. So these are all precautions, of course, made because of the pandemic. It's interesting to note that while more people than perhaps ever before in the history of the state will be watching this trial, no one will be inside the courtroom watching the trial as spectators. It's just fascinating. Thank you so much for your reporting, Brant Williams. You're welcome, Nina. A televised trial of a traumatic event is going to be hard to watch or listen to at times. In advance of that, though, communities around Minneapolis are trying to prepare as best they can for the emotional impact. This week, a series of conversations began, where this story began, at 38th Street and Chicago Avenue. It was called a healing event for people to enjoy each other's company and talk together about 
what is on so many people's minds. Photographer Evan Frost and reporter Matt Sepik paid a visit. They met Jaden Ellis, who's nine. He was there with his adult cousin. Jaden's been to what's known as George Lloyd Square before. He likes it there. It makes me feel like um, I'm proud of my own color, of my skin. And it's super fun. No, community is very nice and all that. I like the community and all that. An organizer of the event, Jatan White, is processing what a televised trial means on top of everything else. If we just take take every take the last 100 plus years of stress off our table, right? If we just talk about the last 16 months, there are people with some mental health and emotional damage that might not be repairable if we don't start doing things right now that are preventative. And putting this trial on TV is not one of those preventative measures. However, people want to know. So I get that too. I'm just thinking, how could we have been more creative with getting the information out to people? This episode was produced by Megan Burks, Brita Green, and Nancy Liebens. Reporting by Brant Williams, Reham Fisher, Nancy Yang, Matt Sepik, and Evan Frost. Laura Ewan edits our coverage. We had technical help from Alexander Simpson. Our theme music is by Gary Meister. Thanks again for listening. I'm Nina Moyney.